TJ Sterling is the president and lead artist of Ray Comics, short for Red Archie's Entertainment, an independent publisher devoted to creating unique stories about underrepresented characters. In early September, I had the pleasure of speaking with TJ about his ongoing independent series, Okamis, its influences, and the future of Ray Comics. I'm Brandon Kessily, and this is Nerdcraft Nation. everyone this is brandon here i am speaking in a socially distanced and definitely entirely remote interview with independent comic book creator tj sterling tj how you doing hey what's up everybody i'm doing great man appreciate you having me on again this is tj sterling president lead artist for ray comics yes and now just for the listeners out there because this isn't our first time actually meeting or speaking but unfortunately our original interview didn't actually get to air so for a lot of folks this will be their first time hearing you Word. outside of my Special. team so would you mind telling folks a little bit about yourself where are you from what got you into comic books how you got to where you are right now with ray comics which i believe you mentioned last time you found it in 2015 yes sir i appreciate that man and yeah to all the new listeners just a quick intro again my name is tj sterling i'm the president lead artist of a independent comic book company called ray comics we publish incredible unique stories about you know black superheroes as well as other people of color in comics, unique narratives that are, again, character driven and extremely positive and just focused and accepting of all people. So currently we have a Kickstarter going on right now. Uh, actually, it ends in about eight days, so a little, little over a week. And we are basically raising funds to print the next couple of issues of our flagship title series, Okamus. And Okamus is a sci-fi martial art action story about a young man of color that has a latent superhuman ability that potentially saved the human race. And this young man unbeknownst to him is being pursued by four warriors from a time kind of like a dark desolate timeline a future if you will that want to steal this power for themselves and he kind of finds himself in this crazy situation and somehow his past is tethered to these individuals so it's kind of interesting we have a mashup of lots of like cool things like sci-fi and time travel and sentai and martial arts and, and a little bit of eastern things like dragon ball z and you know tai chi so yeah lots of cool elements in there so i would love for you guys to check it out if you have a moment yeah i was going through it again i mean and i did actually want to dive into that what were some of the inspirations for okamis because you mentioned some of the dragon ball z and other aspects and i kind of picked up on that i picked up a little bit on some of the influences that i i thought i picked up on were like fist of the north star dragon ball z saint Seiya, maybe a little bit of super sentai like you were saying before but what specifically did you think about when you started creating okamis because it is very interesting with the at least i remember the issue zero was very dystopian and then 
and issues one through, I believe, three right now were the, just playing it straight. But that issue zero was very interesting and just kind of threw you into that kind of history of trunks for Dragon Ball Z kind of narrative or Fist of the North Star where you have like the Wanderer who's in this dystopian timeline, like you were saying, and just going on these this really badass fights with it was Kale and uh, Barnabas. Mm-hmm. Yep. And that was just really kick ass. But then going back to kind of the origin story at, and, and playing it straight in the first issue. But what were some of the influences of this series so far? Because it's very, very intriguing and really fun to read. Thank you, man. I, it means a lot. Honestly, you know, I'm a 90s kid. I mean, I grew up basically just loving anything and everything that was the 90s. I mean, from the video games to anime to comic books and to gaming, it just was everything about the 90s. Again, I just I loved. And for me, you know, I knew that I wanted to tell a story that was kind of inspired about all the things that I did love. I mean, I always loved the concept of martial arts. I loved the concept of Dragon Ball Z because, again, I was a martial art practitioner. So, you know, chi and the energy and the power that we all have within us was always something that we were taught in, you know, in class at a dojo. And it was something that was very real to me. So I always thought Dragon Ball Z was very cool in terms of how they were able to project some of that and how they were able to kind of handle these abilities and these powers and kind of this non-linear storytelling that they did because to me it just wasn't a traditional superhero story and when you think about what Dragon Ball Z kind of prepared us for the first arc was that you know Gohan was supposed to take over and it was supposed to be him that was supposed to kind of take over and be the hero of the story yes it was and eventually, obviously, all the fans in Asia were not having that shit. So <laughs> they kind of switched the story. But I just thought it was really dope. Again, just it's a non-traditional means of telling a story. And that's kind of what's inspired me the most with that thing. And all these other cool things that I loved about the 90s, because the Sentai genre to me was just fucking dope. Like, I loved Ultraman, and I loved MacGyver, and I loved Common Rider, and Beetleborgs, and all these amazing shows that were, you know, basically kids that had this ability to shift into a suit of armor and be powerful and you know to be able to do anything so i love the concept of that and to me there was never enough people of color in those types of shows i'm like oh well it'd be cool if we did something that you know was inspired by something like that but just a little bit different and then weaving in the martial arts i love the concept of time travel i love sci-fi i love dystopian desolate futures like i've always liked the concept of that i mean one of my favorite movies is book of eli and thought about that when i was reading i was like yo this reminds me of denzel and book of eli (laughs) yeah i mean because again like when you love something and you, you're really into something it kind of flows into your work without even really trying and I think for me during that initial point of creation when I was actually creating Alchemist I was watching lots of things like Book of Eli and you know anime like Berserk because you know Berserk starts yeah. out in like a very desolate kind of you know dystopian part of that universe and yeah. like a dude walking around with a dusty cloak and a sword just like handling stuff and I just love the concept of that and I was a huge fan of Fist of the North Star and, and what that was about I, I've always loved the whole you know Mega Man X thing where or the Mega Man thing period like you beat a boss and you gain a power you gain the yeah. ability and I wanted to weave in some of those really cool elements so oh, again Okamis okay that makes sense I didn't even think about that yeah I mean it's one of those things that I'm a huge fan of the concept of like you know you go through an experience you go through a level in life and you gain an additional experience you know what I'm saying in a big way and I said I personally think it's dope to have that 
that manifest physically. And to me, like I said, I wanted to do something a little different. And I felt like the majority of a lot of the comics that I saw from other black creators was very ancient Egypt, ancient Kemet, you know, driven or centered or kind of inspired. And I, and I love that stuff. I absolutely love that stuff. But I just couldn't be another person that jumped on that bandwagon. I wanted to, again, create heroes that were non-traditional and kind of inspired by the things, but completely and totally different. I got you. That makes sense. You really wanted to focus on your influences, but kind of insert levels of your own life and your own experience into those influences. Absolutely, man. Like I said, to me, if you're creating from a real place and you're telling unique stories, again, you just have to look at the market too. It's like if there's a story that exists that's out there that's similar to yours, then you're just, you know, okay, well, wait a minute. Maybe I got to rethink this. But at the time when I came out with Okamist, there weren't any comic books with Sentai stuff out there, especially with black characters in them. Now you're seeing like Boom Studios and all these people that do books like Power Rangers and they're doing tons of books like that, which is, again, totally cool because Okamist, even though it has some of that inspiration, is a completely different tale. But ultimately, you, you look at the market and you see what hasn't been done. And even if you do see something that's similar in your work, you just want to make sure that you're continuing to push the narrative in a unique and a different direction. That's awesome, man. I'm excited. I'm excited for issue number four. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really excited for issue number four. I remember last year when we met, I got issues one through three and then also the zero issue. And I think you were getting ready for issue four. And so it seems like that's where the push is right now. Before I ask a bit more about Okamis, I wanted to kind of touch back on something you said before. But you mentioned that you had practiced martial arts. Which martial arts had you practiced before? Yeah, so I mean, I practiced Japanese shonru karate for a long time. I mean, it was put by its American regular name is known as Shidokan. Okay. Uh, but I also touched a little bit into Kung Fu. I started learning that. I didn't get too far into it, but I, I was a very much a, a student and a admirer of many different types of martial arts, whether it was Aikido or uh, Japanese wrestling, like Judo. I mean, I, there's so many cool things that I thought were really interesting and kind of piqued my mind, piqued my interest and in, in kind of sparked my brain to thinking like, oh, this would be really cool if I was able to weave some of these elements or what I learned into everything else that I do. Because when you learn martial arts, it's, it becomes a lifestyle. It's not just yeah, absolutely. that one thing. It's like, you know, you wake up with that discipline every single day after you learned it and it kind of just bleeds into everything else that you do. And that's what people are like, how are you so driven and, and focused and consistent? I'm like, well, a lot of that comes from my martial arts training because that's absolutely. just what we learned. It was beaten to us. And, you know, over time that consistently practicing in, in, in your forms gets you to the next level. So I just look at, you know, going to cons, making these books. It's always practice to get to that next level to get better. Amen. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I did ninjutsu for a bit and then I did tungsudo for a while. Oh, um, nice. Did some kendo in college and then I haven't really done anything since. But I agree. That's a definitely a great source of inspiration and a source of just overall focus. The fact that you're, you know, always trained to just continually persevere, no matter your success or failure, it's always about that perseverance and and moving on to the next goal, to the next goal, to the next milestone, and knowing that you can always improve and get better, the self-improvement. Yeah, man, that's what it's about. And again, like it's a marathon where literally it's not really a sprint. It's literally just us one foot in front of the other trying to get better over time. And again, I think what we've been able to see with Kickstarter is since it's our very first Kickstarter, but we you know did record-breaking numbers and had tons of exposure and, and really touched a lot of people because we've been building with people one-on-one -on -one for years. Just like you said, when you and I had a chance to meet at BlurredCon, that's my same interaction with every single person. It's a real personal interaction where I care about the people who come to my table. Like I genuinely care about them as, as people. So absolutely, when you know you feel that, even if you didn't support my book that one time, you and I would still 
be cool because you were just a good person. Your lady was a good person. So it's just like, I can appreciate good people and being around that, that type of energy. So I just look at it like, I'm not trying to make money off you. I'm trying to, you know, entertain you and give you like something cool and fun to read and give you a window into my world. But at the same time, again, like it's not about the money for me. It's about, you know, how I'm able to touch others and I'm also able to build with others as well. Absolutely. So speaking of getting a window into your world, who were some of the inspirations for your characters? So you have Kale, you have Brianna, you have Ethos. I have a theory about Ethos, but I don't want to put you in a position where you have to spoil anything. <laughs> <laughs> I think then you have the hunters. You have Tassina's group. It's like Sata, Masar, Bane. And then, of course, the uh, Barnabas from the Zero issue. But where did you get the inspirations for these different characters? Who do you draw from for Kale? Who inspired Brianna? Who inspired like Tassina? It's a great question, man. I mean, I try to draw inspiration from people that I know as well as just like life experiences and just, you know, also the allegories that we all kind of face as young black males in America, in this society. So, you know, with Kale, he is a young black kid that, you know, is minding his own business, but he's being targeted by these authoritarian figures because of this thing that he has trapped inside of his DNA, this greatness that he has that he doesn't know that he has. And I think that that in itself is just it's a parallel to what we go through every single day when we walk down the street or when we are getting pulled over or we're getting, you know, somehow singled out because we're different. You know, you, I'm sure you've experienced this just as much as I have throughout your entire life, one thing after the other. And, you know, to me, Kale is every young black man that's special. You know what I'm saying? That's who he is. And he has a little bit of my life experiences there just because I'm the writer. But Brianna Martinez is based a lot on my good friend, Nadia Martinez, who's, you know, one of my best friends. We worked at Marvel together over a decade ago, and we've been tight ever since. And she's just like my road dog and who, you know, is a huge comic book lover. And she's also a blogger, Gotham yeah. girl. So shout out to her. Oh, snap. Um, okay. Yeah. Yeah, man. I'm trying to think what else. Tessina is, she's like if Wonder Woman was bad guy. But Tessina gets her own miniseries at some point in time. So her stripes may change a little bit. But she's ultimately like an ideal, beautiful, powerful warrior woman. That's who I picture. Tessina would be that person. If I could create a character, that's who she would be. Again, Sada kind of represents this elitist, white supremacist type of attitude that he feels like people are beneath him. So he kind of represents a whole lot of things that's wrong with this culture. But at the same time, he's kind of hell-bent on a mission to save somebody he cares about. So even though he is kind of a flawed character for at his core, he also has some type of altruistic things that are about him that he's trying to do. And then you get Masar, who is actually based on a good friend of mine named uh, Jim Yu. He's a six foot three Asian cat who I went to the high school with. Biggest dude I'd ever met at that time. But yeah. it was cool because it was it literally me and him were like the very, I think there was maybe three or four ethnic individuals that went to our, our school, people of color. And it was like me and him only. And we had both came from different schools and transferred into this school. We were like literally the only two dudes that liked you know, Tupac and Biggie in 90s rap and 80s rap. And this, again, this is a Chinese cat. And like, he's in an all white school, just like I am. We got put into the school by our parents and we just clicked almost immediately because we just had very similar interests and we would like go to the gym together and work out. And like, it was just, he was a cool dude. So his character was one, the essence of what he was and came into the character of Massar. And he was also another martial art practitioner too. So that's what we also linked on that. And Baines, he's like the wisdom the, of the group, the, the brains. 
it's like there's always that guy that's like kind of calm real relaxed chill and he just he knows he can see in front of most things that other people can't because he uses wisdom and discernment versus emotion so that was kind of the things that i was going for with there i mean ethos is kind of like you know what would happen if everything went wrong type of thing and you know he's kind of like always trying to make it right so i think that we all have a piece of that in us like what do we regret what do we think about what do we want to impart to our younger selves or to our to younger generation you know what i'm saying like he's kind of that teacher and i said i try to infuse a level of realism in each one of these characters that makes them feel like they are on a mission to really you know change things you know what i'm saying that makes sense you were talking about high school a bit was this in new york um this is michigan actually i'm from michigan. grand rapids michigan yeah i mean i moved to the east coast back in 2001 long long okay. time ago but yeah i spent most of my formative years in michigan for a long time what took you to new york college man yeah uh, i mean um okay, yeah, okay. C- college for sure because well, the whole mother side of my family is from the east coast queens new york jersey just like baltimore um a whole bunch of people on this side of the, the country like that's where they from so yeah i came out here and was staying with my grandparents for a long time and went to school and, and at the time when i had left michigan the economy was really bad i mean this was literally like a month after september 11th happened and the world oh, economy yeah. was kind of jacked up and i had, again just graduated high school a few you know weeks prior to that and yeah i was coming out here with really the goal of getting a hold as much opportunity as i could in the arts industry as possible and also getting my degree in illustration and design so i mean i just knew there wasn't much for me back home and i knew that this was the place to do it and i was lucky enough to have people i knew that lived in this area so i could lean on them and just be around family you know yeah so you've been there ever since effectively yeah man i haven't left i thought about it i'm about moving to a place that's warmer because these winters (laughs) these winters out here man are rough bro they're killer like good luck i mean there's this one post i did on instagram maybe about two years ago when there was like a crazy snowstorm in new york and i was walking yeah. times square and you couldn't see five feet in front of you and the snow was so crazy and it was just so cold and you know the subways get jacked when it's cold and, and yeah there's just so many things man but even the subways during the summertime are like you know so hot and, and just disgusting that it, it becomes really really uncomfortable to be in new york city during the, the extreme um, weather months whether it's summer or winter fall's pretty chill spring's pretty chill but those other two it's it's real rough so yeah man i could still chill here though i mean like i said there's a lot of great creative energy lots of great creators all throughout the boroughs and you know the tri-state area so i'm just happy to be one of them you know you yeah, know the, <laughs> the weather can be very difficult of, of north i spent a lot of time in boston i was born there and then went back there for college and a little bit of time in toronto but so yeah definitely know a thing or two about the cold <laughs> Yeah, man, you already know. <laughs> you already know, bro. So, Okamis right now is billed as a six-part series. You mentioned that later on, or maybe even in the works right now, you're also looking to get a follow-up series about Tessina. Are you planning on developing like a whole Okamis universe? Are these maybe like one or two little titles right now? And what other projects are in the pipeline for Ray Comics? Yeah, there's so many, man. We're working on so much great stuff right now. I mean, I I can't wait to share it with everybody. Yeah, Tessini 
gets her own miniseries after Okamis. I mean, all of the books that we're doing are ongoing titles. So okay. after the six-part Okamis series ends, that's the first arc. And then eventually it's going to pick up with issue 7 to 12. And that's going okay. to be down the line. But you know, before that, you're going to get the Tessina miniseries, which is, again, a um, window into a character that starts out as a villain but kind of changes her stripes and becomes a hero. Okay. And then you do get Okamis Dark History, which is a tale that's centered around the very first you know hunter which is kale's father which again we do not get a chance to see or even know about until you see this book and you know all that so it's going to be kind of interesting you know sharing with people what that's about and what's going on and i'm super excited about that as well so yeah it's going to be dope man it's so many cool things we've got you know a space book that we're developing we've got a sex comedy that we're developing we've got (laughs) um all kinds of off the wall weird stuff that's cool but also just different you know what i'm saying because we just want to make sure that we're not telling one type of story we want to yeah. tell as many different types yeah diversity of genre and, uh, yeah man that, yeah, that makes that's sense. what it's all about that makes sense so y- you said you're the lead artist yes sir how many other artists and writers are you working with now i'm working with three other writers at the moment for different titles i'm working with about four different art teams for just various books so constantly man just again building growing and trying to collaborate with as many dope people as as I possibly can you know what I'm saying yeah that's awesome good team to just get things out and create together yeah man that's what it's about well how I feel about comics and how I feel about storytelling and I feel like if you're just looking at it as a business transaction you know you don't get uh, stories that come from the heart or come from the soul like you get kind of like there's just and people can create you know just I'm gonna pay you a job but I think all the people who've worked for me know that I don't just pay people to do work for me like we literally are aligned on so many different principles and walks of life and it's just more of just people coming together who enjoy working on comics and telling great stories man and to me it's just so much more than just paying an artist or just you know looking at it as a business transaction yeah that's extremely important you got to make sure you got the chemistry any good team you see it in sports you see it in politics you see it in in art any good team that works together they just have to have that team chemistry i I think that you have mentioned last time you had done some intern work for marvel yes sir yeah yeah i mean i try to base anything that i've done with my comics i basically try to center that around some type of professional experience and i feel like most of that professional experience i gained from the comic industry came directly from my time working at marvel years and years ago and it was cool man because like i said i learned everything i needed to know about storytelling and about how to piece together a comic book and a few other cool things like that and honestly it was just a great experience man it was definitely helpful to help me kind of bring everything to fruition and i loved it man it was dope it was definitely a good experience and you know it was one of those things i was there for about a year so yeah. made a lot of great friends and i still talk to those people to this day they still remember me and it's just it's fun it's like a nice footnote in history of comic creation but since then i've done some stuff for dark horse and aspen comics and recently i did some stuff for dc so you know i dip my foot into the pool of pro work for big companies every once in a while but i mean i find it more gratifying just working for myself you know yeah that makes sense what are some of the series that you got to work on uh, while with marvel and dark horse and, and dc yeah i mean well when i was at marvel i was doing lots of production on various titles i mean i worked over okay. on over 100 books and for the life of me i couldn't remember all of what those titles were and as interns you didn't get credited but you know you were working on all of these pages every single day it was a nine to five job so it was pretty interesting but ultimately uh, yeah everything from you know amazing spider-man all the way to, to new mutants and x factor 
factor. I mean, there was so many different titles that we were working on at that time that came across my desk. So it was pretty crazy. But more recently, I was working as a layout artist for Batman Giant number five. And it was pretty dope. It was a Walmart exclusive comic book that they only dropped there. And I think DC has been doing some interesting stuff in terms of experimenting with distribution, because obviously they are no longer working with Diamond. So they're trying different channels like, oh, let's sell some comics at Walmart or put some stuff here. And this one was a Walmart exclusive that sold out immediately because it was only available there. And now you can only get it online. You can't even get it at a comic book store. So it's kind of cool to have the opportunity to work on that. But yeah, man, I do some stuff here and there and then jump back into my own stuff. That makes sense. I don't know if I remember what their issue with Diamond is. Well, the thing was, is that Diamond got to a spot where obviously the Rona hit everybody pretty badly. It was one of those things where they couldn't actually pay the people to come to work and ship the books out and package them and get them to stores. So DC was like, yo, we got this contract and we need our books because we need to supply these to customers and Diamond and them just had issues with money and like what money that was owed. It was just all this big craziness. And again, at DC, from what I heard, what I read, they end up severing their ties with Diamond and finding a different distribution channel. But again, they're experimenting okay. with lots of different ways of distributing comics because people buy comics everywhere nowadays. And I think the, go- yeah. the grocery store format is something that had been done for a long time. I and mean, they did that in yeah. the 90s and it was heavy and it worked. So why not try it again, you know? Yeah. And I mean, now there's so many ways that you can read comics online. I mean, DC Universe has their app. I mean, I know granted, like probably all their shows are going to HBO Max if they haven't already, but they still have the comic platform for that app. And, you know, Comixology was pretty big over the last, I want to say seven or so years, which I think Amazon bought them. But I mean, a lot of things can be digital, different distributions. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, man. I mean, that's just what it is. It's, you know, in a market like this, you know, how do you reach the consumer? And again, for the longest time, Diamond was the only way that people could reach a real consumer. So I just think it's kind of crazy because now these co- companies are getting very creative, man. And we as artists have to get creative too. We have to think outside the box and do absolutely anything and everything we can to build relationships online and build platforms. People can, you know, jump on and get our books because just like you said, if we can't meet at a con, how can we get the books in other people's hands, you know? Right. And so how much of an influence or inspiration was Milestone Comics on you growing up or even in terms of entering this space and taking the dive and doing this independently? I appreciate what Milestone did. Absolutely. Without a doubt, I definitely had appreciated what they did and what they were trying to do with all of their properties because, I mean, obviously they were thinking long-term with games and movies and animations and all these things and they were able to achieve so much of that. And what I will say, though, is is that for me, like, you know, Icon was very kind of like, okay, it's like a Superman character and then Hardware was like an Iron Man character and, you know, Static Shock was kind of like the Spider-Man of that thing now. Yeah, so like, you know, as much as I loved what they were doing, I felt like some of the examples that they were using was very much like, I don't know, like I said, it was just like, it was a different spin on on a very similar idea. And I I felt like for me, again, it was still a groundbreaking company and I had the pleasure of meeting pretty much every single member of Milestone throughout my time in comics. I mean, I met Dwayne Dwayne McDuffie years ago. Literally, I think I met him a month before he passed away and he was doing a talk at Haley Center here in New York City. And that's where I had a chance to meet him and talk to him about comics because I just was a fan of his because he used to be an editor at Marvel in the 80s. Yeah. You know, he was this person who just knew comics so well and comics back then were just interesting because he'd be working at Marvel then he wouldn't be able to get a cab when he went downstairs from the offices. And, you know, his 
white counterparts, other editors would literally have to get him a cab because this was how crazy the time was in the 80s in New York yeah. City. But he was a really great guy. And I loved the stories that he told and what he was pushing and what he was doing. So I believed in him. And I, I had a chance to meet Red Reginald Hudlin in Montclair, New Jersey, when he was doing a talk at an art museum. And he was a really dope dude who gave me a lot of really great insights about, you know, how to make your comic book believable. Michael Davis is a good friend of mine who I do talk to relatively frequently. And I've seen and ran into Dennis Cowan quite a few times at San Diego Comic-Con and, you know, around and he's got some Okemos books. So again, I do appreciate what they did. And I'm very grateful for them. We would have made comics regardless whether Milestone was in the picture or not. I think there was one person in the comic industry that made a post about this. They were like, yeah, Milestone is dope that it came back and everything. But we've been doing black comics for the past decade and a half. And we've been carrying that torch for black comics and POC comics like without them being around so it's cool that they're here but we've been doing that for like a minute and yeah. even for me it's like i've been telling dope stories about black characters for the past four and a half almost five years now so yeah you know we're, we're definitely happy to see that they're coming back but at the same time we've been also doing that for a while on a lot of other companies like stranger comics or unique studios or webway comics there's lots of people who've been doing comics just like that and probably even more original because they weren't tethered to dc comics or an idea of what would be cool commercially you know yeah, I remember talking to Roy Okupe from Unique Studios and similar to what drew me to your comics, it was just stuff that I just found very intriguing. And there was an entire fantasy series based on a Nigerian warrior princess, like told like, like an ancient Nigerian empire. It was very fascinating and very yeah. like the, and the art style was just incredible for both of you guys. You're like y'all are both really out there doing your thing and it, it's great to see and it's very satisfying to consume and to support. Yeah, man, you know, it's one of those things that Brother Roy is telling stories from a lens that is real you know what i'm saying like he's a cat from nigeria that is telling stories about african superheroes like he knows it knows how to tell that story better than anybody yeah and i think someone like myself who can tell stories about sci-fi and martial arts and time travel and these concepts that i grew up loving like i probably know very very well to talk about you know what i'm saying so it's one of those things that you like it's just dope to have stories that are coming from a real place yeah i think that's why people have, have kind of pushed back when marvel or DC or some of these companies, they create characters just to create diversity and it's not necessarily yeah. from a wholesome place or not come necessarily from a real place. It angers a lot of people because they're like, look, we know that you're trying to check a box and I think if you're just trying to check a box then you're just kind of pandering to us and you're not really doing it for the right reasons. But you have people like, again, in the indie scene that are genuinely creating content for the purpose of filling something that's not there. I mean, it's like a really from a genuine place and that's the people you got to support in my mind like i said i buy more indie comics than i've ever bought in my entire life because there's so much great content out there but also if you're asking for support you got to support as well and i think that's what it's about amen unfortunately i have to end it with as of the recording of this unfortunately we have just recently lost a very very talented actor in chadwick boseman who portrayed a lot of very iconic historical and fictional figures he had portrayed jackie robinson in 42 he had portrayed thurgood marshall in the marshall movie he had portrayed james brown and get on up and uh, most famously he had portrayed the marvel superhero black panther king t'challa in several movies his origin movie ended up grossing over a billion dollars i think 1.3 billion dollars very very well received film and a very very talented actor and none of us knew that he was battling colon cancer this entire time when he was giving us all this work yeah what level of exposure did you have to chadwick's work before he passed and what takeaways do you have from his career Man, 
man, it's crazy to me because, first of all, I mean, uh, you know, rest in peace to, to, to Chadwick and, and, you know, shout out to his family and to you know, everybody who was on the ground level with him from the beginning because something about Chadwick, I think, captured me when I saw his portrayal of James Brown because I saw that movie before I saw him played Black Panther because originally yeah. I confess I haven't seen 42 yet but I've seen everything else that he's done and one of my favorite movies that he's done is The Message from the King he actually plays a South African cat that comes to the States looking for his sister yeah. and I was just blown away by it because I mean I literally thought that this dude like he played the role so good I thought that he was an African yo the accent sounds proper like the, the way he holds himself like it just seems like he owns that role and that to me was like his preparation for Black Panther because he adopted a similar accent when he did that movie i was personally a huge fan of him as an artist as a creator he seemed like a, just an old person you know what i'm saying like articles that he was talking in the, in the talks that he did he was always kind of in this space where he was uplifting other people and he was using his platform to bring awareness to certain things he was you know there for people who were dying of cancer he was literally just a force for good and i think if you are going to go out you know you got to go out being a person that is a force for good in someone's life you know what i'm saying and that to me like is what makes life worth living it's not how much money you make and how much you know money can amass over time or, or how many possessional things you have but at the impact you leave on a person's life and i think for me that's something that will always be forever lasting because people are going to talk about chadwick boseman and what he was able to do with his craft for decades and even longer like he's going to be one of those actors that people just continue to talk about for a long long period of time because his performance in all of these movies was just incredible and again, like, I'm going to go back, I'm going to go and watch 42 because I feel like, man, I missed out on, on one of my favorite actors' movies, but it was on my list. It was like, I'm yeah. basically was, you know, just thinking like everything that he's done has been impactful with his career and what he did outside of his career. And it's a shame that he's not with us. And it's a shame that, you know, we don't get to see more of what he was capable of. But I think he gave us some gigantic pieces, man, some huge roles, and he really shared some great art with us. So I'm just hella grateful for him, man. And I'm inspired to continue to for that same level of philanthropy with my work and that's why during the Ray Comics Kickstarter and I'm not just not trying to pitch it I'm just trying to tell people that yeah. you know we have three different ways that we're actually giving back on that Kickstarter you know with the Kickstarter we're giving to the Junior 100 which support young people of color in the metropolitan area you know that are in high school that are basically we're helping them learn leadership skills and life skills and business skills and that's the Junior 100 which is an offshoot of the 100 Black Men of America, another yes. great charitable organization. Also donating money to kidney.org, which helps you know kidney patients who are suffering from high blood pressure, hypertension, or failure. And we're also supporting Women in Comics, which is a tier that's only dollars, but all that money goes to pay the Women in Comics. So we're doing what we can, little by little, you know, our campaigning with our imprint and someone like Chadwick's memory. I mean, that's how you really make a difference. You back as much as you can. And we hope to be able to continue to do that over the years to come. Oh. Man, well, TJ, thank you so much for doing this, for taking the time to, to speak with me. Man, anytime, bro. Like I said, I'm glad we got a chance to link. I'm glad you're doing well. I'm glad that we just got a chance to talk, man, because we would have been talking like this at a con if it was all this code yes. crap was going on. Yes. TJ, for the listeners, where can people find you on social media? Yeah, yeah it's super easy to find me, everybody. Again, TJ Sterling, president lead artist of Ray Comics. You can easily find me at raycomics.com, R-A-E, comics.com. You can get 
t-shirts, comics, art prints, toys, whole nine. We got everything there. If you want to find me online, you can easily, easily find me on Instagram at TJ Sterling Art or at Comics, R-A-E Comics. And you can find me on Facebook too. I'm, I'm hella active there. So please feel free to reach out and we can just chop it up, you know? All right. Thank you, everybody. And this is the end of this interview. Peace. Thank you. And that's our show. Nerdcraft Nation is a partner of Pub Square Media and is hosted by Austin Hall, Jose Lopez, Brandon Kessley, and Chris Walker. Our theme music was composed by Daniel Ferris. If you'd like to keep up with the show, please follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Nerdcraft Nation, like us on Facebook, or subscribe on your podcast app of choice. Be sure to leave a review if you can. If you'd like to send us a voice message, please check our show notes for a link to our voicemail inbox.